Bibles out and let's go to the book of Acts. We're in a brand new place tonight. It's been a long time, seems like, since uh, we were anywhere but 1 Corinthians. And maybe your Bible just falls right open to somewhere in 1 Corinthians, I don't know. When I finally decided that this is where I wanted us to go, I began to really look at this uh, this book and what it's what it's really about. Even a conversation I had this, this afternoon with Pastor Sears. It's important that we as a church understand what church is supposed to be like. And the book of Acts is really the the first written history of the church. And so as the church, as this local church, it's important that we know what, to, what uh, God wants for us and what God wants His church to look like. We'll see some reasons. We'll look at this. So a little bit of an introduction tonight, and with just the limited time that we have, we're gonna we are gonna cover the first eleven verses. But um, I find that uh, Acts may be a little bit easier to, to to breeze through, just because it is a story, and it's just a story written uh, one big long story that we'll be able to just go through and hopefully not get uh, sidetracked. I guess it's not up to you; it's up to me. But uh, hopefully, I don't get sidetracked as uh, we we move through through the book of Acts. Let's just read a little bit as uh, we'll, we'll start that way. Verses, uh, verse 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again to the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And they began waiting, and the wait is still continuing even until today and uh, that verse will change or if you will it will we'll see the result of that return one day maybe we will or maybe uh, one generation definitely will this is just the introduction to the the, the the book here as it begins let me just give you a little bit of background information and um, I, I learned recently that uh, not too re- not too long ago you actually went to the book of Acts and so uh, I think you have someone to compare it to so uh, forgive me if I say something that was uh, said correctly the first time around and I say it differently this time, but uh, or maybe they weren't listening the first time, who knows? And maybe they're not listening this time either, so I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, the introduction, we'll just look at the introduction to the book of Acts. This is uh, written by Luke, and he was uh, the writer also of the Gospel of Luke, and really we could take the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts and put them right together, and we'd have one really long narrative. And Luke is the doctor. He's the one that he spent a lot of time traveling with Paul. We see him mentioned throughout Paul's epistles uh, and even, I think, helped Paul write a little bit 
uh, of his epistles, but uh, he writes to this unknown person named Theophilus. The word Theophilus means the lover of God or the friend of God. Don't know if that was a specific person or if that's a, um, I guess someone could be named that. Uh, I wouldn't want to be named that, but uh, that uh, I kind of think that it could be a generic term if he's speaking to the lover of God. It could be speaking, and the way I want to, I want to look at it when I read it is that uh, it's, it's it's kind of an open letter to anyone who considers themselves to be a Theophilus. If you sit here tonight and say, I am a lover of God, I love God, I love Jesus, and I'm a friend of God, then this book is for you. Uh, that's why it's, it's in the canon, and then that's why we, that's why we have it to study it. And so, as we, as we begin, we see in the very first verse that Luke shows us the tie from his Gospel of Luke and, uh, to the book of Acts, the former treatise, the, that which I already wrote. Uh, the former treatise covers the whole 24 chapters of Luke, and uh, he... Uh, Kind of in Luke, we see the earthly and life, earthly ministry and life of Jesus, and then Acts one about Acts one twelve on, we see uh, how things went after Jesus left. We, Jesus was also he was on the earth for the first eleven verses, and then he took he he took off to heaven and left his apostles, left uh, left the, the church with the charge to spread the gospel. The book of Acts takes place within the 40 days following the resurrection. If you remember back in 1 Corinthians 15, when we studied what the gospel is, he talks about uh, in that, during that time, 1 Corinthians 15, I think it was 5, 6, 7, and 8, he talks about how, G- how Jesus uh, made himself known and he appeared to people for 40 days. This is the time frame, and this is probably day, I guess this would be day 40, when Jesus uh, arrives on the mountain with his, uh, with his closest followers there. Uh, so why study the book of Acts? I want to really just help us to understand that because I want us to come at it with the right mindset. I don't want us to uh, just study it to know it. I want I want this to be maybe more practical uh, than than any of the other books so far. First Corinthians was kind of how the church shouldn't be, but Acts is really how the church should be. This is the this is the groundwork for the church. Now, uh, whether you believe that the church started here in Acts or maybe it started when Jesus called his apostles to him. Uh, this is the baby stages of the church, and this is there's not much there's not much uh, for them to go on, and so they figured it out. If you you know if anybody anybody ever been part of a church plant, you've actually helped the church get started. Yeah, okay, all right. So and it's not it's not uh, it's not easy, and especially this one because at least you had another church background to fall back on. These guys they had the temple, and it was going to be totally different, and and. And so I want to I want us to really understand what's going on here, and so that we can make an application in our lives again in our church. So let me encourage you as much as you can be here Sunday nights as we go through this. So as a family, we're all getting on the same page. This is what church is supposed to be, not from what I believe it's supposed to be, but from what God's word tells us. This is how church should look. So why study the Book of Acts? Uh, because it's the first written history of the church. It's not an exhaustive one. It definitely does not include every story that we read about many of Paul's journeys. Uh, it tells us some things, but then in his epistles, he tells us some things that didn't get recorded in Acts. But it's definitely, it's definitely a good history. It's the first one, and it gives us plenty. Uh, Albert Barnes uh, said this about why study the book of Acts. He said, it's an inspired account of the character of true revivals of a religion. For he explains the entire book of Acts of the Apostles records the effect of the gospel when it comes fairly in contact with the minds of people. So we're going to see what the gospel does when it comes in contact with people. When people have a clear under, uh, presentation of what the gospel is, it does something. 
because it's powerful, because it's alive. And we see that all throughout the book of Acts. He also says this book shows that revivals of religion are to be expected in the church. How often do we hear or maybe even witness uh, churches that are dead or dying? Uh, there's a great book uh, written by uh, Tom Rainer. It's called Autopsy of a Dead Church. And he goes through and he just re- and, he, and he basically does research on all of these um, churches that are dying or dead and figures out why they were dead. That shouldn't be the case. Uh, if the gospel is being preached and that's changing lives, then there shouldn't be a dying church. It should be growing. It should be uh, infused with new blood all the time. And yet, many times, that's what's happening. And, it, and partly it happens because of the people, not the people out there, it's the people within the walls. It's us for this church. And revivals of religion, uh, have to, revival has to be in our hearts uh, before anything out there is going to come. And you, we've all walked into a church before and felt like it was, it was dead and maybe it seemed like they have a funeral every Sunday morning at 11. And, and I mean, there's nothing to look forward to going there. Uh, and, you know, I, I personally, I want this place to be um, a, a healthy balance of sacred and fun, okay? Uh, church is supposed to be, uh, it's worshipful. It is, it is, it is a, a special place. It's a place where, where <clears throat> excuse me, where we come and meet God. But uh, it also, I think it needs to be a fun place. It needs to be a place where we, as human beings, who are not completely 100% spiritual all the time, we look forward to being here. And I, I know I, I like what uh, that was. I know we're not supposed to feed the flesh with everything that we do here, but it, there's nothing wrong with my flesh and my spirit enjoying the same thing. Uh, my my uh, spirit likes good music. My flesh also likes good music. Okay, I don't want to sing you know the really really awful boring songs just because it feeds my spirit. I, I want I want there to be a balance there, and we don't want to just focus on one or the, on, on on overdoing it. But we we also want people to come to to come in and feel like hey, this place is genuine. This place is is it's it's applicable to me. Then there's got to be a a, a uh, an atmosphere that says oh, this is this is I could get into this I like this and 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 I'm, I'm going way ahead of myself and going down a rabbit trail I didn't plan to go down but this that's that's my that's my hope to see at at, at church uh, Acts uh, he continues illustrates that what the gospel is suited to produce to make people self-denying and benevolent we're going to see that all throughout the book of Acts uh, what the gospel does to an unbeliever what the gospel does to a believer. I assume that's all of us in here. What? How's that going to change me now? We mentioned it in First Corinthians many times. The gospel is going to change me now. The gospel is just as applicable for the Christian as it is for the unbeliever. And what does it do? And we'll see how that uh, how that changed uh, the people, and then uh, then uh, consequently how that changed the church. Last thing he said in Acts, we also get a view of the character of the true Church of Christ. The simplicity of this church must strike every reader of the Acts. Religion is represented as a work of the heart, the pure and proper effect of truth on the mind. It's free from pomp and splendor and from costly and magnificent ceremonies. There is no apparatus to impress the senses, no splendor to dazzle, nor external rite or parade adapted to draw the affections from the pure and spiritual worship of God. In a nutshell, it's saying this is, Acts shows us with all the, 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 the things of, of years and time that we add to church. Acts is, we don't have any tradition. We don't have any years of precedent. This is what the church, it's a simple church. 
It's this is the basics. We don't have the big. They didn't have big giant screens. They didn't have programs. They didn't have, um, you know, the conferences and and workshops and 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 Awana and all of these things. And over time, we you know we we like, hey let's let's work this. Let's try this and we do this. And it, none of these things are wrong. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that these things that we do are wrong. But what happens is we grow uh, to a to a point where we think that what we have is what it's supposed to be. And what Acts shows us is that it trims away all the fat and says, actually, this is what it's supposed to be. All the other stuff that we add to it is maybe good, but it's not essential. I'll tell you, I'll give you an interesting example. I can tell because this man has passed away now. But uh, when I moved to our church, when I joined the staff of our church uh, back home, uh, the the way that uh, the the services ran, all of the the pastors sat up on the platform during the preaching time. So there would be, there were four chairs at the time, and so my dad would preach, and then the, there's three guys, and they would they would sit up there. And so when I came, it was assumed that I was going to sit up there. Well, there was no chairs, and there wasn't enough chairs for me. And so one of the men he came to me, and oh, and also the chairman of the deacons also sat on the platform. So there were there were there were four chairs, and and you you do the math, figure it out. But uh, so the the the, uh, the chairman of the deacons was sitting there, and then the pastors, and and so the, this this guy came to me, and I had known him since I was a little kid, and, and he came and was like, "So you're going to be sitting on the platform now?" Well, I guess so. He said, "Well, who are you going to replace?" I don't know. Maybe they'll buy another chair. I don't know what they're going to do. And he said, "Well, because we know the Bible says that the chairman of the deacons is supposed to sit on the platform." And I was like, "Oh, okay. I've never read that verse, but in his mind, because that has always been the case." The chairman of the deacons always sat in that. There was three chairs on that side, and this middle chair was always the chairman of the deacon. In his mind, that's Bible. And so if we had changed that, we had gone against the Bible. Well, spoiler alert, there's not a verse that says that, okay? So it, it, but you see, the, it's just a, a simple example of how over time, it always has to be done this way. Why? Because that's the way it's always been done. Because the Bible probably says it in there somewhere. And so what we do, what we benefit from when we look at Acts is we come with, we don't come and tell the Bible what it needs to tell us. We come and we read the Bible and we find out, oh, that's how it was. Now, not everything in the, in the book of Acts is going to apply to us today. There were a whole lot of miracles going on. Don't expect that here. There were a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I think of Ananias and Sapphira right away, you know. Uh, can you imagine someone bringing their offering here and, they, uh, that wasn't uh, what you promised the Lord and drops dead right then and there and, and uh, deacons come and carry this guy out and his wife's on her way so hurry up and come back because you know th- th- that kind of there were some crazy things happening in the book of Acts we don't expect all of those things to happen but what we do find is the basic uh, most um, the most basic form of church and this is how this type of church turned the world upside down this is the type of church that spread the gospel better, I think, than the church today is doing. Uh, no one's accusing Christians today of turning the world upside down. And yet, that was, acu- that was, that was definitely the case in the book of Acts. So, we, we see these things. Uh, Acts is a bridge, and this is the last uh, reason why we would study the book uh, on my list, at least. I'm sure there's more. Acts is a bridge from the Gospels to the Epistles. Uh, Acts uh, tells us, it continues Jesus' story of the Gospels, kind of shows us the effect of what what happened in the Gospels. But then it explains the correspondence 
of all those epistles later on. As we looked many times studying through 1 Corinthians, we could point back to Acts and find out uh, what he was talking about during that time. So Acts is kind of the narrative for the rest of the New Testament. Is that we, we, we read about instruction. Most of the epistles we find instructional, and Acts is that one of those last narrative books that help us tell the story and see how things progress through that. So as we look into the book of Acts and the early church, we're going to see that the, the gospel has an effect in people's lives. And, and it still has the same effect today. Nothing's changed about the gospel. The only thing that changed um, are the times and the people. And the gospel is still the same. And so it's, it, it should have an effect on the world around us. And it should have an effect on the people in this room. And when we see that as well, we see a simple church model, one without customs and traditions that evolve over time. Again, and it's just helpful to see what is essential. So we begin into the book of Acts. I call it a church on fire. Um, I, I titled that myself, and then I found a book uh, that, I did, that was going to have help me go through this, and it was titled the same thing. So I didn't steal it from, from that book. I, I funk it up myself. But uh, apparently I think the same way as other people do. So uh, we see we go to we go to verse number one and we start d- diving in here to the book. We see it's the ascension and the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's been 40 days since Jesus resurrected. Uh, during that time, he had appeared to many people, proving himself to be alive. He wasn't he didn't just resurrect and then hide, hide away. And uh, hey, you, you killed me and I resurrected. What are you going to do to me now? Can you imagine that? What, what did Jesus do when he walked around? the? I wonder if Jesus appeared to people who had shouted crucify. Like, what are you going to do now? We, you just tried. You killed me. You successfully killed me, but I'm back. So now, what are you going to do? You know, I can say what I want and go where I want, do what I want. And uh, many times, Jesus didn't walk the places. He disappeared and reappeared. So come after me now. What are you going to do? I really am God. I really was telling you the truth. And uh, many people believe because of this. And he, but he's appearing to people. He's encouraging them. He knows that there is just a limited time before he is gone uh, physically for a very long time, and uh, he wants to make sure. That, uh, that 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 they 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 know he's he's alive. They know he's real. There are many uh, firsthand eyewitnesses that saw Jesus resurrected. Many of whom were probably standing there watching him be crucified, uh, and now have seen him once alive again. And so he assembles his disciples for the last time in verse number four, and tells them to wait in Jerusalem. They had been they had uh, been in Jerusalem. They gathered. Uh, he gathered them to this mountain, and then he tells them. Listen, I'm going to go. I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. I don't want you to go anywhere. Uh, I think he's telling them to wait, not only for the promise of the Holy Spirit, but also because there was a lot of fear in their hearts. He just killed our leader, or the Jews just killed our leader. They're blaming us on stealing his body and perpetuating the, the lie that they think this is. we got to get out of here. Or as Peter did, I go fishing. I'm done with this. I'm, I'm going back. And so Jesus says, no, go back to Jerusalem. Wait there until you receive the promise from the Father. He had reminded them of the Holy Spirit here as he had taught them several times throughout his ministry with them, teaching them, I'm going to leave you one day, but when I leave you, the reason I have to leave you so that the Comforter can come, so that the Holy Spirit from God can come and he can uh, teach you the things, he can guide you in truth, he will tell you the things that I'm telling you now, this is the Holy Spirit and this is why I must leave so that he can come. The disciples asked him an interesting question in verse number 6, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? 
they knew these these were Jewish guys, so they knew that uh, that it had been prophesied, it had been promised that Messiah was going to come and he's going to restore the kingdom. Uh, they were several thousand years early on this because it hasn't happened yet, but they wanted to know. Well, everything else has kind of happened. You're about to go. Is this the time? We're ready to go now. You're going to set up the kingdom. You're going to you're going to uh, restore the kingdom of Israel. You're going to rule, reign, read Revelation. That's what they thought was going to happen right then and there. Jesus doesn't answer them the way that they wanted, but he answers with more information than they asked for. That ever done happen to you? You ask them a question and they respond to you, but not with what you ask them. They totally go in another direction and then they keep going. That's exactly what Jesus does. He answers their question, but not their question, not with information regarding their question. He just he kind of shuts it down and then starts going off in this other direction. He says it's not for you to know the time, not not for you to know the season. That's only for the Father, and uh, don't worry about that. But he says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So he uh, he says it's not for you to know when the Father will restore Israel and set up His kingdom. Uh, they had been taught to pray for the Lord's kingdom to come. Remember the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. They're praying every time they pray. Jesus even told them to pray like that. Pray for the kingdom to come. So they're, they're antsy for that to happen. And they're hey, is it ready for time now. Jesus says, no, no, slow down. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot to do before then. Don't worry about the timing. Focus on what I'm about to tell you right now because you've got a big job in front of you. And so he says, you will receive power once the Holy Ghost has come so that you can be witnesses for me starting here in Jerusalem, going throughout the world and uh, in, in, in those phases that we'll, that we'll see. So in other words, he's saying, no, it's not time yet. That's the answer to your question. Is it time? Were you going to say it? No, it's not time yet. But you have lots of work to do. Now, if you want to look at your, you put it up on that screen, if you will, or uh, look, in your, look in your book there, uh, you can see. The, um, the, the the graphic there. He says in verse number 6, he says, uh, I'm sorry, verse number uh, 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So in your book, you can't really see it because it's so small. On the screen there, you see the little white box under the word Judea. That's Jerusalem. It's pointing to Jerusalem there. So that's where they were. And that was their immediate location. And that's where Jesus said the gospel is going to. This is the epicenter. This is the religious center of Israel. This is where they happened to be. And this is where the gospel would, uh, would, would spread from. Then he said all Judea. So Jerusalem was that heart of Israel. And then all uh, Judea was the immediate vicinity. That was the area in which Jerusalem was a part. And then the, the next place was Samaria, which is to the north there. That was the adjacent province. That was where their non-Jews were, or half-Jews. And then he says, unto the uttermost parts of the world. That's the Gentile world. Now, it's interesting, if you want, as we follow along through the book of Acts, pretty much um, we see this played out in Jerusalem from chapter 1 to about chapter 6. Uh, and then we see they move into Judea and into Samaria from chapter 6, uh, halfway in chapter 6 into about chapter 9. And then we see in the, uh, that they reach the Gentile world uh, from about chapter 9 uh, until the rest of the chapter. And we'll see that played out. You can see how events moved for them to just reach. At this point in time, any time the gospel was preached, it was preached to Jews. Okay, And so uh, they were staying pretty much in Jerusalem. If they shared the gospel, which they did very hesitantly, I'm sure, because they could have been killed for it, 
they were sharing it with Jews only, but then it began to spread. And it spread into Samaria, and it spread all through Judea, and still only to the Jews. And then, when the Apostle Paul is saved and uh, commissioned by God to go and be the Apostle to the Gentiles, we see him really carrying the bulk of it into the uttermost parts of the earth. What we see the uttermost... What they're the othermost parts of the earth was basically going around the Mediterranean Sea there. It wasn't like they came to the New World and uh, preached to the Indians or anything. But they, they, they definitely carried the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth as far as uh, the known world, basically covering the Roman Empire. After these things, uh, Jesus ascended into heaven and out of their sight, and these men stare up into the sky. Two angels appear to them beside them with this challenge. In verse 11, uh, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. And so the, the, the challenge is this. Why are you still standing here staring? He just gave you a job. He just gave you a commission. Get busy. It's time to get to work. And it's ironic that the name of this book describes the actions of the apostles and the early church and yet it begins with them just standing around, literally standing up and staring up into space. Let's not put too much blame on them. You just see, you know, the one that just came and he's just been here for 40 days and all of a sudden he starts rising up into the air. You're standing there looking at him and just like, you know, if you ever let a balloon with helium, you stand there and you sit until you can't see it anymore. And I imagine that's Jesus. He goes up and they're standing there and then, boom, two angels appear to kind of draw their attention back down here. The angels didn't appear in the sky. They appear right beside them on the earth and say, why are you guys looking up there? He said he was coming back. That means he gave you a job to do. In verse number 8, you're going to be witnesses. Get busy. He's coming back. And that's, the, and that's the, really the, the emphasis of the church. And with that in mind, we move into the book of Acts understanding there's a job to do. The church must get busy. There are three ways of thinking about the church and the Lord's work. We'll finish with this tonight. Because how, whatever perspective you look at it uh, with, it will depend on your, your version, if you will, of Christianity. Number one is that God will do nothing, and therefore I must do everything. I like the Tower of Babel. I'm going to do what I want to do. God's not going to stop. Uh, that's a wrong view, obviously. There's a view that says God will do everything, and therefore I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to sit back, and um, we're just going to come. We're going to basically make church like a, a good old boys club, and, and we're just going to have some fun. And if God wants to bring people into church, then he'll bring people into church. If God wants to save people, he'll do it. I can't stop it anyways. The kingdom of God is a, is, a, is a train that I'm not going to get in front of. I'm on board, and I'm going to have a good time, and we're just on a pleasure cruise until we sail home to heaven. And that's not accurate either third one here in the third mindset god will do his work through us the church god is going to do something and he's chosen to do it through the avenue of the church with that in mind real quickly i want to just i want to read from matthew 24 one of the parables that jesus uh gave us uh, gave to the disciples that goes very very closely to what uh, we read about in acts 1 acts 24 and verse i'm sorry matthew 24 and verse 42 Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. He says in verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, 
to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he, hath, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Master goes away. Of course the master's coming back, but he doesn't tell the servants when. He expects the servants to behave just as if he was standing there the whole time. And when he comes back, he says, the servant that continues, that, that is found working, is blessed. Our master has gone into heaven. He said, get busy. You've got a world to reach. I know you're not going to save them, but you're the ones, you're going to go out into the world. I am going to give you the power to uh, be witnesses, to tell the world what you know about the gospel and about Jesus, and I'm going to reach the world through you, through the local church. Now, we can think about the whole wide world, and we can think about this area of the United States where we live. This is our Jerusalem, and it's important that we reach our Jerusalem. And I kind of think, you know, our Judea might be, I don't know if that would be New York State, I don't know, uh, or Samaria, or, or if it would be all of America, but definitely reaching out to the uttermost parts of the earth. I think it's very interesting if we look at the three-fourths of that commission there are all very close together, all very local. And it's very important that we, the way that God designed the local church is that if everyone will focus on their local Jerusalem, uh, you can reach much of the world. And so it's very important that we focus on foreign missions. We can't go there. We, we pay. We don't play. We go. We send someone to go. But we can't forget about Jerusalem right here. We can't forget about Judea. Maybe the other, the other towns around us. Maybe uh, the other places in our country or in our state where uh, they need the gospel too. It's, it's just as much of the world as everywhere else is. And, it, and we, we need to get busy. Uh, Acts of uh, the Faith Life Study Bible says Acts shows us what it me- meant, what it means to be a part of Jesus's mission to the world, and it is meant to inspire us to be a part of God's work in the world. And so, let me challenge you. I put some questions there. Those are for you if you want to look at those later on. But let me challenge you as we go through this book. Uh, this is not a let's sit and learn and and get a lot of stuff in our heads. This is what is God trying to do here? What is God trying to do over there and over there and all the way across the ocean over there? And what can I do to be a part of it? Now, I say this to a group of people that, you know, if we could start making a list. We, I was talking to someone this morning. The people that are really, really busy, that don't need to add something to it, I'm not talking to you saying, hey, you need to add another thing to your plate. I'm talking about every single one of us making sure that we are in the service of the king, making sure that we are doing what we can do to serve the Lord, to serve the to serve the Master who one day is going to come, because if he is to come when he is to come back, is he going to find us working? Is he going to find us laboring in the in the in the task that he has given us? And as we work through these this narrative, we work through these stories, we see the most important thing. The very first thing that we're going to see next week is prayer. They immediately, they gather together and they begin to pray. It's very important that the church be a praying church. And as we move through those things, a church on fire for God is a church that does what, what these people did in this, in this place here. And let us pattern our, our church after this type of church. Maybe minus the miracles and killing people because they didn't give them the offering correctly. But all the other things would be great. So let's uh, come with an open heart. I I encourage you even if just read through this. If you're looking for something to read through on your devotion, study the book of Acts with us 
uh, and throughout the week just read a little bit maybe go back and read take a, take a few moments sometime this week and, and think about these questions and uh, ask yourself give yourself a little bit more of a, of a uh, study with that with that we'll pray